Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Scott Sunvor. He is CEO and co-founder at Space Coyote. We're going to talk to him about the work that they're doing in the cannabis space. One of the things I love about where we are in cannabis is the market is growing and maturing, and you're finding all sorts of players that are figuring out niches and areas they're really going to focus on. You're seeing specialization, both in terms of capabilities, but also in terms of market and brand. And and Space Cody is certainly one of those areas they're really focusing on a premier, high-quality, high-potency products. And, um, you know, it's a really interesting space. And and with that comes some innovation, comes some learning, <laughs> figuring out how to navigate that market, how to create these products, how to, you know, make this whole business work. So I'm excited to talk with Scott about the work that they've done and obviously the lessons they've learned that they're willing to pass on and really kind of the state of the industry and where things are going. It's an exciting time in cannabis. So with that, Scott, welcome to the program. Thank you, Bruce. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, it's a pleasure having you on. So let's do a little bit of back background, and then we can talk about uh, what you're doing with Space Cody. What was the background? How, how did you, uh, professionally, what were you focused on? How did you get into cannabis? How did you start things? Give us the, uh, give us the journey. Yeah, so I, I have probably a, a little more unusual path into the industry. Um, I'm actually an 
MIT engineer before before joining the industry. And uh, before this, I was actually running a consumer health company. So a hardware startup that was focused on providing tools for people that had food allergies so that they could make sure that their food was safe before they ate it, just make sure that they could stay healthy. Health is really a big passion of mine. I have Crohn's disease myself, so Uh um, I've dealt with autoimmune disease for a very long time. Um, And actually, cannabis was one of the first things that I found um, that personally helped like me just get into remission and and be healthy with my my own autoimmune issues. So after I had been been running my previous company for a while, I was just keeping my eye on the cannabis industry. I've been I mean I've been a stoner since pre college and uh, just always really appreciated the plant both recreationally but also medicinally. And uh, my co founder Libby, she was working at Ease at the time. So at the time, Ease was the largest delivery company in California. Um, And so I just saw really a lot of what she was doing there and just how much excitement there was and an opportunity in the industry. And Libby and I wanted to to start something together um, and have very complementary skill sets. So really very little overlap in in what we're good at. She's incredible at the branding and the marketing, um, that whole side of things. I'm very good at product operations, uh, the manufacturing side of things, just business operations. So um, it was a really natural fit for us to work together. And as we were brainstorming some ideas, it just it felt like the right time and we dove in. And what I'm curious, given your experience in sort of other industries, particularly medical devices, what pieces of that sort of experience, that you know, capability, skills you developed there, have you been able to kind of directly transfer into cannabis? What, what things did you have to kind of adjust and, and which things just did not apply at all? Yeah. <laughs> you just couldn't, couldn't bring to bear. Yeah, well, it's been incredibly helpful experience, um, especially as the industry is maturing. When when I first got into the industry, um, things were were still really. I mean, it was it was recreational, and the medicinal market had been around for a while, but things were still really transitioning from the the traditional, the black market days. And uh, so, a lot of it was very different. It was, I mean, people were very averse to having contracts. Everything was done on a handshake. Um, everything was done. Just, I mean, most of it was with cash. Even there weren't weren't even uh, a lot of banking when when we first started Space Coyote. So uh, there were a lot of things that I had to transition my thinking from. Just being used to more, I mean, traditional manufacturing, consumer uh, like that consumer model, contract manufacturing model. But as the industry has matured, that past experience that I have, especially with running a company that had a product that was as complicated as what we were doing. I mean, we had a supply chain across. Europe and Asia, and we were distributing products throughout the US and just working across multiple different continents and running a very complex bill of materials like that has really helped me out with just being able to look at cannabis operations and really simplify them and make them really efficient. So I think that's one area, really one of the primary areas where we stand out compared to a lot of other companies is that we've taken that model, but also just really incorporated this respect and the knowledge that we have more of the the traditional market, but been able to take that model and just the knowledge from a more mature industry and then be able to adapt it and slowly bring in things like setting up longer term supply contracts and like running more of a contract manufacturing model rather than trying to vertically integrate. And so it's been immensely helpful. And I mean, when I talk to people that talk about how complicated the cannabis industry and how how difficult some things are and the regulations and all that, you know, I agree with a lot of it. It is complicated. There are 
a lot of complexities that we have to deal with. But, you know, compared to running a product that was bordering on a medical device that had, you know, 200 different components in one product, running a cannabis supply chain is much, much simpler. So <laughs> I'm, <a> uh, <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm very grateful for having that, you know, just that, that trial by fire with the first company that I ran and now being able to apply just a lot of those learnings and a lot of the mistakes that I made and yeah. just doing it a lot better this time. Yeah. And what didn't work? I mean, I guess as as you got into cannabis, did you realize like, oh, wow, like this, my thinking or my approach or the strategy, the technique that I used here is just is not going to work. And I've got to rethink, you know, something from the ground up. Yeah, I would say that the biggest one, it, it was less that it didn't work. And it was that the time wasn't right for it. And that was really around getting just getting these longer term agreements and these longer term relationships set up in consumer hardware and electronics. When you're building a product, everything is done off contracts. You have a contract with your manufacturer, you have a contract with your, your tier one suppliers, everything is agreed on, everything is set in stone. You know who you're going to be working with for multiple years in the future. And so when I came into the cannabis industry, I wanted to do the same thing. But for the first probably two years that we were operating, nobody was willing to sign a supply contract with me. So, and I was saying, hey, you know what, I'll, I'll commit to buying flour from you or hash or whatever every single month at a fixed price that we can agree on. And like, you'll, you'll have certainty in your supply chain, I'll have certainty in my supply chain. And it just wasn't something that people were ready for. And so I really had to adapt my thinking. We had to adapt our operations to working with more, just the way that the industry was operating then. The end of last year and into this year, that's really changing now. And we are getting those supply agreements set up where um, we now have, I would say, a lot fewer relationships. So before we were working with, I mean, I had a a spreadsheet with probably 40 different cultivators that we would work (laughs) with and all these different producers and suppliers. And now we're really just consolidating that and working with the ones that that can put together those agreements and, and can work with us and really scale with us. Um, And we've seen that just be just immeasurably helpful as we're really hitting this rapid growth point with our business now also. Yeah. And do you think this is just maturing of the industry? Is this, you know, COVID has kind of pushed a couple of companies to really kind of be more predictable and lock things in? I mean, what what are you attributing the, the changes to? I think all of the above. A lot of it is definitely just the industry maturing. I think we're also now seeing... In the first few years that I was in the industry, a lot of it was really driven by vertically integrated companies that they had their own cultivation, their own manufacturing, and their own brands. And so they could really own that supply. Now we're seeing the model really, it is shifting. We're seeing still a lot of that. And I think the industry is still dominated by that model. But now there's a lot of very large scale cultivators that are coming online that are saying, you know, we don't, we don't want to make our own brands. We want to work with brands that are already really strong. And we want to be the the suppliers that power those brands, which that's much more what I'm used to from the consumer electronics space. So that has been really great just seeing that shift. But also, honestly, I think COVID has had a big impact. And I've talked about this with a few other founders and a few founder friends of mine, myself included, really believe that, that in many ways, COVID really saved the industry. Maybe not saved the industry. That's maybe an overstatement, <laughs> but... But just the way that things were operating and and people spending these ridiculous amounts of money on marketing or growth or other things just with no eye towards profit and no eye towards just how to be sustainable, that was really put to a halt and people really had to reevaluate 
when COVID came into play because nobody knew it was going to happen. Nobody knew how severe it was going to be or how long it was going to last or if the capital markets were dried up. And so everyone was forced to just shift to this eye towards profitability. And so I think that that really made a huge impact. And I think helped a lot of companies that, in my opinion, were on a path to going out of business. And and some of them did because of COVID. And, and I think that was sped up. But I think a lot of companies also just got their shit together yeah, exactly. and realized that they had to be more sustainable. And I think that that has also helped facilitate the shift where people are realizing, like, I mean, I just would never want to build a vertically integrated company because that company, you're building three or four (laughs) separate companies with completely different skill sets. And you're then a farming operation and a manufacturing operation and a brand, which is really a marketing organization. And like doing all of those well is extremely difficult. And so if people can focus on what they're really good at and then partner with other companies and other brands that are really good at, at their niche, then that's what I think the future of the industry is. And um, I think that we're really seeing that start transitioning and shifting now. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty common. I mean, as a business coach, I deal with this a lot in different industries where, you know, early industries, things kind of have to be vertically integrated because, you know, for Mm -hmm. in order to kind of produce the things you want to produce, you have to control every step. I mean, this happened like in chip manufacturing and things like that, where, you know, but as the market matured and standards got put in place and capabilities started to meet, you know, customer demands and, differentiation was less on kind of the product capabilities, but more about the branding and things like that. Then you start to separate out the supply chains or the manufacturing. And and I, I think this is starting to happen in cannabis. I mean, I, I guess it kind of depends on the area and the state and, and the market. But I mean, I guess, do you feel like the industry, the supply chains are mature enough and standardized enough and the sort of infrastructure and the ecosystem is in place where you're highly confident of just focusing on your part of the industry, your part of the business and letting suppliers and manufacturers and kind of handle all that other stuff so you can double down on the thing you're really good at? Yeah, I think I think we're definitely getting there. I think we're at the early stage of that. But I mean, and like you said, I think it was necessity at the beginning that people were yeah. vertically integrated. We see the companies that are really at, at the top of the charts now in terms of market share, like the Raw Gardens, the, you know, the Packstones, like Glasshouse, these companies that, that are vertically integrated that can control their supply chain. And they were able to get that big because they did have control of that supply chain at the beginning. So I think that now that shift is starting to happen. And so that's why I, I do feel confident in the business model that we have now. I think if it was still drawing out and being more like it was maybe at the beginning of last year, then this year we probably would have come into into the year saying, you know what, okay, maybe we should think about setting up our own cultivation just so that we have control of our supply chain, have control of the raw material inputs. But um, I do feel like we're at the, at the early stages of that. I think, I mean, this industry is still so new compared to, I mean, I think chip manufacturing is a perfect example. Like that industry has been around for, for decades now. And, and we see how different that is than, than something like cannabis. So I think we're still at the really early stages. I think that a lot is still going to be transitioning and of course, like this industry is, it's still agricultural. Like it, it's not chips. It's not something that you just mine out of the ground. Like this is, we're dealing with farming. Like that is the reality of it. But I do think that things are, are shifting a lot. And I feel really confident with our business model and just the way that we've been able to stay lean and efficient. And, um, and what's interesting now is that we're seeing more and more brands that are transitioning or are coming into the industry and are being more in the model that we are. I would say... It's still more rare for this model, but I'm seeing more and more of it, which um, also just you know helps helps affirm that, and also just helps 
create that need for this type of structure and and the demand for for this type of of industry model. Yeah. So tell us about the niche. Like, how how did you decide to really focus on this? You know, high end, the high potency products. Like, give us a little bit of a sense of the the thinking. The you know, what prompted you, or, or what was the kind of motivation for you to focus on this area? Yeah. So there were a few a few points. I think kind of three main ones. So the first was taking a learning that I had from my last company, Nima, which the the product that we had built there was a food tester. So you could actually test your food on the spot and make sure that it was gluten-free or peanut-free. So for people that had food allergies. And uh-huh, yeah. and so this was, I mean, revolutionary product. The people that, that purchased it, like we consistently just got reviews that it had absolutely changed their life. But the issue with it was that it was such a new thing and such an unknown thing that it required a huge amount of education. And so we had to educate people just, first of all, that the product existed. And second of all, how to use it. And that is just such a huge hurdle to have to educate your customers on even that your product exists is is really difficult. And so when we started this company, the number one thing I wanted was to be able to sell a product that needed no education. And that was just an easy purchase. And, you know, selling high potency, high quality weed is, I think, one of the, the, the easiest value propositions that you can provide. So that was was one aspect. Another was actually from uh, when Libby was working at Ease, uh, she was a creative director there. And so one of her tasks was to work with the data science team at Ease and create just market insights and create these infographics. And so from that, um, she saw that really just consistently what sold well was um, high potency, but well-valued products. So not necessarily very high cost, but definitely that like price to THC ratio was always just a a very strong factor in buying behavior. Um, And then the last aspect of it was that Libby and I just, we wanted to create products that that we would smoke and Mm -hmm. that we would use personally. And I mean, even now today, I almost exclusively smoke our own product. And we just have made a really good product that I personally love. And I mean, I try every competitor that comes out. I still buy flour from dispensaries every now and then. Um, But even before starting Space Coyote, we were infusing our own joints. I was I was buying hash and putting it in with some flour that I bought, just creating that right mix, the right blend, the right flavor. And so it just felt really natural to take that product that we were already creating for ourselves and then just do it at a large scale and, and provide something that, that anyone would want to smoke. And when we have something that the consistent feedback that we get is this is the best joint I've ever tried or this is one of the best joints I've ever tried, it creates a, an easy selling proposition. Yeah. So tell us about the product. We can talk about in, infused joints and things like that. I mean, how, how have you kind of defined your product categories and what have you done within them? What, what have you specifically said you're not going to be focused on? Give us a sense of your, you know, the parameters that you work within. Yeah. So one of the things that we always say internally is that we make products for stoners by stoners. So our, our whole team, everyone on the team, we all love weed. We've been smoking weed for as long as we can remember. And we want to provide that for other people. So we settled on infused joints as our first products because we also just really believe in the convenience aspect. I think that, I mean, looking at something like the tobacco industry, at least in the US, there's there's very little loose leaf tobacco sold. Almost everything is sold in cigarette form. And mm-hmm. so I really do believe that there will always be a market for, for flour in cannabis. But I think that more and more, we're going to transition to more of that that convenient 
form factor. And so I think that that joints is that like people are going to want to buy joints, especially as we get new consumers in the market. But one of the issues that we had with joints, and I think that this this really came from the early days of the industry too, is that a lot of joints are really poor quality. People put trim or shake in them. They were often dry. It was often like worse grade material that was put in joints. Um, and even if it was high quality flour that went in them, just the the system and I think the packaging for preserving them and keeping it fresh just wasn't really up to par. And so when we were thinking about, okay, if we want to provide a convenient product that like is in this joint form factor, how do we make sure that first of all, it's always really potent. And second of all, it's always really high quality and, and doesn't go stale. And infusing it with an extract is the perfect way to do that. And Libby loves to use the analogy of, of toast. Like, if you make some toast and imagine that you make that toast and then you put it in a Tupperware and some packaging and it sits on the shelf for five days, like that piece of toast is not going to be very good. It's going to be dry. It's going to be <laughs> disgusting. But like if you have a piece of toast and you put some butter on it and you put some jam on it and it's just like this delicious thing, then like that's a great experience. And that is in a way the way that we think about our product. So every joint that we produce is infused with an extract, either hash, live resin, or THCA diamonds. And mm -hmm. it really just provides that added oomph. Each joint is different. Like the hash just has that really full, full bodied, full plant extract. The live resin provides just, I mean, a ton of potency, but also just all those terpenes and all that yeah. flavor. And then in the diamonds infused ones, it's, it provides this like really sparkly, like almost psychedelic high. And so it really just provides this I think a, a much more enhanced experience than what you would get from a typical joint. And it's just always this high quality, high potency experience. And, and that's what we want to be providing for people. Yeah. And do you see these as being kind of like um, special? Like I'm, I, this is not your everyday smoke. It's something you would do, you know, on Friday nights or something. I mean, or, or is this for you, is this like a everyday experience? So I think it very much depends on the customer that we have in mind. So for someone like me, this is my, my everyday smoke. And we started out with making just one gram infused space coyotes. And we've now started making five packs of half gram joints as well. So they're a little more, you know, consumable for an individual. We will also eventually start making like infused dog walkers uh, so that especially when having that smaller form factor is really nice. But for, I mean, for the stoner customer, like this is, this can be your everyday smoke. Like it's, it's definitely going to get you ripped. Like even, even just a few hits off of it will definitely get you high. For more of like, we look at another category as being more like the social smoker, someone who doesn't necessarily smoke every day, but maybe it's like a Friday night with friends, they'll get high and like, it's perfect for that. Like one gram space coyote. If you're in an environment where you're sharing joints, like it can get, I mean, eight, maybe 10 people high off of one joint. So yeah. it's really great for that experience too. But really just off of the the quality that we're providing, like every now and then I'll, I'll smoke a, a non-infused pre-roll. And it just, it just doesn't have the same flavor and the same freshness and that like, it, it's a little more dry. And so because of that, we see it like, you know, on a Tuesday afternoon, you might not smoke a whole space coyote, but it's still going to be the best experience that you can get in the joint. Yeah. As you look at kind of the world of products that are out there, is there anything that you're looking to branch into or kind of 
get into from a, a product category point of view with the same kind of philosophy and approach? Yeah, so one area that, that we're looking at that we're really excited about is in the actually in the flower space. So uh, we've had requests a lot for for just Space Coyote branded flower, and so for a long time we were we were kind of averse to that because we we're like, you know, how do we how do we still fit that Space Coyote brand promise of we make something that's more special, that's more unique, it's always high quality, and now we are actually going to start getting into flower, but with that we'll have really strict potency requirements um, and quality requirements. So it won't be like you'll never buy Space Coyote flower that is say below 28% THC, like it's always going to be super potent. And we're also really excited about a project that we're working on right now that is really around the the preservation of just some of these original sativas, like getting as close to the land race sativas as we can, because mm-hmm. one of the, the biggest issues that we've seen in the industry, and I think pretty much any brand that you talk to will, will attest to this, is it is so hard to get good sativas. Um, the cultivation period just takes longer. Um, it takes longer for those plants to mature. And mm-hmm. so a lot of cultivators are focusing on hybrids or indicas. Yeah. But for some of us, especially Libby, she does not smoke indica. She just can't handle them. Yeah. She's a, a true, she calls herself a sativa diva. Um, so <laughs> yeah. So as we've smoked something, like we did a collaboration with Gold Seal based out of San Francisco. They have a red Congo strain, a red Congolese that uh-huh. is just this incredible, just like really pure sativa. And we just love that and want to provide more of that in the industry. So mm-hmm. We're going to be collaborating with a couple cultivators to provide just some of these original or like as close to original sativas as we can. An idea that Libby and I had thrown around for a long time was the Sativa Preservation Society um, as something that we wanted to provide just to, you know, preserve, preserve these strains. So that's something that we're really excited to get into also, um, which will be coming out later this year. We're working on the genetics right now with one of our partner cultivators. And we're also going to be doing just a lot of content around that to show, you know, how those cuts were collected, how it's being cultivated, um, just why we're doing this and um, and really highlighting the cultivator and the breeders and and the partners that we're working with because, you know, everything in this industry is only able to happen because of the other incredible people working on it. Yeah. And what's your kind of take on genetics at this point? I mean, we've, we've you know, seen such a uh kind of diversification of, you know, genetics in the market. At the same time, as you mentioned, some of these traditional ones are, are harder to find or at least not as not as readily available. I mean, how, you know, how, how do you see this playing out? Do you see more of the mass-produced kind of stuff being sort of simplified and then it's kind of, you know, the, the real people that are curating or are really looking for unique strains and, and cultivars are, you know, going to different sources? I mean, how, how is this going to play out, do you think? Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's an area that is difficult for me to watch sometimes because I think that a lot of cultivators really focus on breeding and hybridizing in order to be able to grow them easily. Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, we're completely guilty of this, but there's so much focus on THC potency yeah, yeah, as, exactly. as yeah. the measure of what quality is. And and even though, I mean, we are a brand, a brand that is like completely centered around providing a high potency product. Uh-huh. Um, I still firmly believe that the best weed isn't necessarily the most potent. You like, and especially also, I think sun-grown flower that's grown in native soil a lot of times has the richest terpene profile 
and you can smoke some flour that's like at 18% THC and has the super rich terpene profile. And it makes you feel way more high than some indoor 28% weed. So Mm -hmm. I think that that we're seeing a lot of and and I completely get it. Like if I was running a huge cultivation operation with with hundreds of thousands of square feet, like I would want to make sure that whatever I was growing is going to be mold resistant is going to grow well and is going to produce as many pounds per square foot as possible. But I think that that then is to the detriment of looking at, okay, if we're like, I think a lot of like true stoners and people that really appreciate the plant, they're looking for a specific effect and they want that like, okay, it's, it's the evening. I want that like pain relief, just like really relaxing, like that heavy indica or, you know what, like I want to wake and bake on the weekend and I want a a powerful sativa or I'm hanging out with my friends and I want something that's going to make me really giggly and talkative. And I really appreciate it when I see cultivators talking more in in that regard. And I love working with smaller farmers and um, just people that, especially, you know, in the Humboldt and Mendocino area that, that are more heritage and have been working in the industry for 20, 30 years. But at the same time, there's, there's still the reality of, of growing a large brand. You just, you have to work with larger scale suppliers. So we're really focused on, on doing as much as we can to support both the small farmers and, and the, the smaller operators in the industry, and especially equity applicants and, and people that are, you know, people of color operating their, their businesses. Um, anything that we can do to support them, we always want to do, but also just balancing that with the reality of, you know, we, we need to buy several hundred pounds of flour every month. And that isn't necessarily going to come from a one acre farm or a two acre farm. Yeah. And so you mentioned that you're in kind of scaling mode and, uh, you know, expanding the business. What are sort of the big challenges either that you are facing or you know you're going to face as you kind of get to the next level? Yeah. So I think the the big one, honestly, the biggest one that was my concern was uh, supply, just raw material supply. I'm feeling just very grateful for some of the partnerships that we've made at the end of that last year and into the beginning of this year. And just some some really high quality cultivators that are, are growing now. I mean, a couple of them are at several hundred thousand square feet of flower and just building those relationships so that we have that security and, and then eventually moving into actually contracting out full bays of flower specifically for Space Coyote so that we can work with their genetics team and, and craft the specific genetics that we want. So I'd say that was really in my mind, the biggest risk. Another is just adapting to the realities of the industry with COVID now. So, I mean, pre-COVID, we had a brand ambassador team that was going into dispensaries every week, doing bud tender trainings, doing demos and and that type of thing. Unfortunately, we had to lay off those employees um, when COVID hit. And now it's just figuring out how can we really reach the bud tenders? How can we tell that story? How can we get people to understand what sets us apart versus other brands and getting that information to the bud tenders? Because it's really, I mean there's still very little direct to consumer marketing where we do what we can in that regard, but really everything comes from the bud tender and whatever that we can do to get in front of them and, and to really just help them, first of all, try our product. And second of all, understand why we do what we do, how the flower is sourced, where everything comes from. That was definitely a challenge. And now I think we're seeing um, more tools come out that we can do digital bud tender trainings or just video reviews and and things like that. So just, you know, adapting to those, the new realities that we're all operating in now has been a bit of a challenge, but I think also just makes it really exciting and makes us be able to, you know, look at new technologies more quickly than we might have otherwise. 
Yeah. Scott, that's been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about Space Coyote, what's the best way to get that information? Best way would be through our website. So you can go to spacecoyote.org or through Instagram. So we're at Space Coyote on Instagram. And my personal Instagram is at Scott Sundvor, S-C-O-T-T-S-U-N-D-V-O-R. I am constantly posting things about just, you know, our Space Coyote work, showing some behind the scenes. I just posted a, a story the other day showing um, one of the automated uh, pre-roll machines that we're working with, which is really cool. We'll be doing more like that, doing some weed reviews and that type of thing. Our Space Coyote Instagram has some uh, fun Space Coyote content, but then also just some like hilarious content if you're stoned and want some entertainment. So people should definitely definitely <laughs> check that out. Great. I'll, I'll put all the links and everything in the show notes here so people can get to that. Thanks so much, Bruce. This was great. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.